I think one of the things I'm blessed by the most is the opportunity that we have. Could you turn me down a little? I'm really ringing here. Thanks. The opportunity we have to worship the way that we do. I'm just incredibly blessed by the people God has brought to us. And to have mom come and, and play that for us, that was like a spiritual experience all by itself. I don't know if you, you realize how rare that is. Uh, I have never heard of, much less met, another person who plays a marimba with four mallets at one time. Yeah, it's just amazing to be able to do that, and she does it so well. I've always marveled at that because, you know, in some ways I'm kind of a marginal instrumentalist myself. I was a voice major in college, nothing else kind of thing, and I just kind of learned how to play guitar and piano, and I did take piano lessons from her for about six months when I was younger. But, um, wow, uh, to be able to do what she does, I think it's just amazing. And what a, what a blessing to be able to have that here to this morning. You know, two weeks ago, we started our Christmas series uh, based on the cast of characters for Christmas. And we started with the leading lady, Mary, of course, the leading lady. And last week, we looked at the story of the leading man, Joseph. You know, when, when you watch a movie and you see the, the beginning where they give the names of the people that are going to be starring in the film... You've seen that on, on you know, films, right? Let me, let me give you an example. I'm just going to pull from a recent film that uh, I, I actually saw the other day. I think it was on TV, actually. Um, the movie Thor. Anybody watch the movie Thor? It's one of those Marvel comic films turned into a movie. It, began, it begins with the, the star. You know, the, the credits begin with the star's name, who plays the part of Thor, Chris Hemsworth. And then on the opening credits, they list the next person, Natalie Portman who is Thor's love interest in the film. Now, they would be considered the leading man and the leading lady in that particular film. Just like Mary and Joseph are kind of the leading lady, leading man in the Christmas story. After these two people in the opening credits of the movie Thor, those cast of characters that come next are all kind of just gone. They go through them pretty quick, you know? But there's this interesting thing that happens towards the end of naming who's going to be in the movie. They leave till the very end of the movie, and they do this on TV shows too, at, at the very end of the credits at the beginning, and they'll also be, and starring, you know, as, as not as if the other people aren't starring as well, but they always put this and starring kind of thing, and it'll be somebody that's really important, right? In the movie Thor, the last two names were people that are fairly renowned in the film industry. They're the people who played the part of Thor's parents in the movie, Rene Russo and Anthony Hopkins two very famous, pretty much icons in the film industry. Today, I want to introduce you to two people from the Christmas story that would be like Rene Russo and Anthony Hopkins, people of renown, important people. Their names are Simeon and Anna. We actually don't know their last names. We're only given kind of brief descriptions of who they are as people. Simeon is described as a good and righteous man that is devout in his faith. Anna is identified as a prophetess, which means she's one who speaks for God. A righteous man and a prophet. If there's anyone, I think, that we should be able to learn from in the Christmas story, I believe it should be them. With that in mind, I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21. I'm going to read out of the NIV this morning. And this is kind of Anna and Simeon's part of the story. This is their part of the script of the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21. 
On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him, Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it was written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping what is, what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, there are several things that we can learn from the lives of Simeon and Anna just through this passage. The first thing I see is faithfulness. Then this sense of expectancy of what God is going to do. And then, of course, thankfulness as well. But before we step into faithfulness, let's just stop and, and lift this up to the Lord and pray. Heavenly Father, I just come before you because, Father, this is... Uh, this is a subject that's kind of heavy on my heart right now, this idea of faithfulness, this idea of commitment, this idea of steadfastness. Father, I pray that you would really help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear, that we wouldn't miss any of this. But more than not just missing it, Father, I don't want us to just hear it either. Father, I want this to be a day of decisions a day of, of putting a stake in the ground and saying, we move forward based on this. We move forward committed to this. We move forward not looking back because we know where our heart has landed and it's solid ground and will not give that ground up to the enemy. But we will move forward in strength and confidence in faithfulness. In Jesus' name, that's what I pray for our hearts this morning. Amen. There are fair, several ways that you can describe the concept of faithfulness. It can mean holding on tight to some belief or doctrine or creed that we hold. It can mean someone who is trustworthy, loyal, committed. It can also 
mean being someone who keeps their promises, someone who is faithful to a spouse or faithful to another person or, or, or organization. Simeon and Anna were people of faithfulness. Now, what I'm going to say here might sound a little bit like a bunny trail, but it's not, so be patient with me because I'm going to bring it full circle in, in a few minutes, okay? I'm about to say something that may fall, well, unkindly on some ears this morning. I realize I can offend people. It's, it's, not, really, it's not even hard to offend people. You know, I can do it without meaning to. It really isn't how something is received as to whether offense is taken. But please trust my heart when I say that offending people is never, ever my goal in preaching the Word of God. My goal is to incite us to live up to the full potential of God in our lives. I want us to, to be the very best that we can be in Christ, to realize everything that God is for us and all that He's done for us, that we might be the people he desires us to be, knows we can be, expects us to be. Now, having said that, if you ever find yourself uncomfortable with something that I preach or even offended, I want to challenge you, step back and ask yourself why. You see, the human heart doesn't always like to receive truth. Sometimes it makes us defensive because we know we need to change. And we're either embarrassed by our shortcomings or we're just stubborn in our sin we can be that way. Today may be one of those times for you, and that means that you get a choice this morning. You can resist truth. You can resist change. You can resist even the Holy Spirit if you want to. Or, like Jan talked about, you can humble yourself. And you can allow yourself to learn and be transformed through that truth. It's really up to you. Now, having said that, this is what I see in the passage. The Christian faith lives in a tug of war between grace and obedience. It just does. Grace is the freedom that God offers us in Christ to be fully and irrevocably forgiven, accepted, and loved. That's what grace does for us. But grace is not license. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 5 and 6, and you know, next year we'll get to chapter 5 and 6 somewhere in May probably, where he talks about grace, amazing grace that God gives us that covers the multitude of our sin. He puts forth this scandalous idea that if great grace causes, or if great sin causes even greater grace, then should we not sin all the more so that grace can abound? And his answer is, well, no, certainly not. But I tell you what, somewhere along the way, this truth has been, well, too often lost in our culture and especially in our faith. We've settled for watered-down Christianity that wears the right words but has lost its power. Where the Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, we've accepted the words maybe and depends. Maybe we will do what we promised, but it depends on how hard or uncomfortable it might be. Now, why is that important? Because, folks, you get the life you choose. Everybody does. If you choose maybe and depends, you get a life of mediocrity. That's just the truth of it. 
One of the most important prerequisites to be used of God in this world is to be devoted, committed to Jesus. His purposes and his processes above those of your own. You can tell how much God will use a person almost all the time based upon their devotion to him, their devotion to his word, to his will, above any other factor, especially their own hearts. Amazing people who truly live the abundant life that Jesus promised live in pursuit of God. They're faithful to his calling and they're faithful to his purposes in life. If your life is not abundant, folks, and filled with purpose, you needn't look any further than your own choices, your own obedience. Simeon and Anna were written into the life story of Jesus because they were faithful to God's purpose and calling in their life. Simeon had been told that he would not die before his eyes had beheld the salvation of his people, the Messiah. And he went to the temple that day, prompted by the Holy Spirit, because he was being obedient and he was in pursuit of God's plan for his life. Now, he could have flaked out. That was his choice. He could have stayed home and rested, maybe watched the chariot races on ESPN. He could have slept in because he partied or even worked too late at the Colosseum the night before. He could have gotten caught up in doing a really good thing and missed the very best thing that life could offer. Faithfulness, folks, says that nothing, absolutely nothing, comes before my pursuit of Jesus. You really want to encounter Jesus? That's a question, by the way. You really want to encounter Jesus? Maybe not. Okay. I want to. Okay, I'm just going to put it out there. I want to. I want to encounter Jesus. I want to see him face to face. It's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about worship. It's one of the places where I get to touch the hem of his garment, so to speak, where I get to draw close and to hear his voice, where I get to just be with him. That's what worship does for me. Now, why would I trade that for anything else? Why would anyone? You know, if Simeon had made a different choice that day, at least two things would not have happened. First, Simeon would have missed the greatest blessing of his life. It has nothing to do with how much God loves Simeon. That would never change. What would have changed was God's ability to bless Simeon in that moment. Now, if you're taking notes this morning, and some of you are, I want you to write down what I'm going to say next, because... You you need to get this. We remove ourselves from his blessing when we choose anything else over his will for us. We remove ourselves from his blessing when we choose anything else over his will for us. Simeon chose God's will. And he wasn't disappointed because the net result of his choice was to see Jesus face to face. The second thing that Simeon would have missed was the opportunity to bless others, starting with Jesus. Verse 28, Simeon took him, Jesus, in his arms and praised God saying, 
Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them. When we choose our own way, we miss out on blessing one another, and we miss out on being a blessing to God. Yes, you can actually bless God. Bless the Lord, O my soul. That's what the psalmist says. We can bless God. God is blessed by our devotion. He is blessed by our faithfulness. He is blessed by our worship. He is blessed by our adoration. Simeon would have missed that, and he would have missed the opportunity to bless Mary and Joseph and Jesus at the same time. Blessing one another, blessing God, are exampled and commanded in Scripture, making it a matter of obedience. Now, this may be the important message, the most important message of Simeon's life for us. By the way, I'm not intentionally leaving Anna out of this, okay? You'll notice the same faithfulness in her life. Folks, according to the passage, she is 84 years old. According to some anthropological studies, the average lifespan in Jesus' time was around 50. Most people didn't live much past that. Compared to our average lifespan today being 75 and rising quickly. In fact, it's said that my daughter's generation, uh, more people will live to be 100 than ever before, and the percentage of people living to 100 is going to rise to somewhere almost a third of our population. We're going to have a lot more old people. But think about this. If the average lifespan was 50 years old back then, our average lifespan being about 75, add 25 years to Anna to figure out what her real age is. Think about that. She's 84. You add 25 to that to get 109 years old. This lady's old, okay? Faithfulness at that age. You know, no one would have blamed her if she didn't show up but she was faithful, period. Her faithfulness means that she not only gets to encounter Jesus, she also becomes a witness for Jesus. Verse 38 says, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. You know, that should tell us at least one thing. If you want to be used of God in significant ways, you got to show up. Another thing to write down, okay? Destiny and legacy never shake hands with excuses. Got that? Destiny and legacy never shake hands with excuses. If you want to experience the power and blessing of a truly abundant life, then start kicking your excuses to the curb because they won't benefit you at all. Don't settle for less than a total commitment to deepening your relationship with Jesus. You know, we talk about Jeremiah 29, 11, one of our favorite verses, right? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That's a great promise. It is a great promise, folks, but it comes with a condition, in verse 12, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when, that's the condition, when 
you seek me with all your heart. Faithfulness, committed faithfulness, committed devotion. That's what God is talking about there. You want all the, the blessing of what it comes before that? Plans to prosper you, not harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. It comes attached to commitment, faithfulness, and the pursuit of Jesus. When you seek me with all your heart, not part of your heart, not a quarter, not a half, not three quarters, not seven eighths, the whole heart. Now, we're about to finish another year here in just a couple weeks. We have a choice moving into 2014. What's it going to look like for our lives? We can choose business as usual, or we can go for it all. And by all, I mean everything God has planned for us. You know, as a leader, which I've been in some leadership capacity since my teens, I've always shied away from asking too much of people. It's one of the those weird characteristics about how I lead. Uh, that's just, I've always chosen to take on more probably than I should, to work harder than anybody else, to put in more time and sacrifice than anybody else. I believe that's partly fear-driven, and I'm starting to get over it. Fear of being rejected. <laughs> Basically, everybody who follows saying, bye. <laughs> fear of not meeting people's expectations, fear of being let down by people, basically just fear. But I'm coming to terms with that fear, folks, and it's not going to win anymore. Last year, Ed stood up here, and he declared that if you want to walk with Janet and I into the future, you're going to have to step up to a new level of commitment and intimacy with Jesus. I think I'm, I'm starting to figure out what he meant by that, you see, folks, we have a destiny to fulfill in this city, and I don't want to miss out on it. I want to be like Simeon and Anna. I want to show up. I want to be there for it. I don't want you to miss it either. But it won't happen without all of us stepping up. It's time to evaluate where you stand with your personal commitment to intimacy with Jesus. It's time to evaluate your corporate commitment to one another. That means taking a serious look at what Jesus said was important, loving God and loving one another, then acting on what we find. I realize this is the first of three points in this sermon, and I'm already way into this time-wise. Trust me, the next two will be very short. But I want to challenge you with this one. Your homework is really simple, okay? But you got homework here, okay? Do a little self-evaluation of your relationship with Jesus. On a personal level, do you spend time pursuing him in the word of God? Do you spend time just being alone with him? Do you make worship a priority where you can connect with him? Do you have accountability relationships in your life? People going the same direction with the same goals that are willing to journey with you? If you don't, there's an area where you probably need to grow a little. Are you living in expectancy of God showing up in your life? You know what? We rarely get things we don't expect. We almost always get what we expect when we expect the right thing from God.
He shows up. But if you're not looking for it, you'll miss it. On the corporate level, why don't you think through this? Where are you serving the body of Christ? Where are you serving in the church? How is your attendance? I know I'm probably not going to be real popular for saying that one. Okay, how is your attendance? Is this a priority? Because you know what? If it ain't a priority, you're going to miss out. It's not just disobedience, because we're commanded to meet together, so it is disobedience in that sense. But that's not the, the biggest concern for me. My biggest concern is when you miss, you miss out. You miss out on what Simeon would have missed out on. You miss out on the opportunity to connect with God, to bless God. You miss out on the opportunity to connect with other people and to bless other people. You miss out. Evaluate where you stand with your commitment to show up. Pretty hard to use somebody, for God to use somebody when they they don't show up. And yeah, okay, there's one more, the dreaded question, okay? No one wants to hear this. How's your pocketbook doing? How's your giving? I don't talk about money very much because it's just not a huge concern for me. But Jesus was really clear about this. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If you're not investing in the kingdom, it's time to question where your heart is. If you're not giving sacrificially, it's time to question where your heart is. Okay, I said this one would be easy questions. They're not easy questions, but they're necessary questions that you need to ask yourself. I'm not going to ask you these questions. I'm not going to confront you with them and, and, and that kind of stuff. I'm going to ask you to ask yourself because I'm fully aware that the Holy Spirit's better at his job than I am. And if you ask God, he'll let you know. It boils down to this. Faithfulness is about commitment, folks. Simeon and Anna didn't make any excuses. They just made themselves available. Because they did, their lives were blessed exceedingly and abundantly. You want to be blessed of God? You want to be blessed by God? Then commit, period. Okay, that was just my first point. I still have two lucky you to go. Actually, I'm going to go pretty quick through these. Uh, the, the second one is expectancy. You know, there, there was this sense of expectancy, especially in, in Simeon's life. He had been told by God in advance, he'd been told by God, that he would not die until he had seen the salvation of Israel. Uh, verse 26, it would been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't die before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. Now, it doesn't say when that promise was made, only that it was made. It only tells us that he was waiting. Verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Greek word waiting there is prokiskdemeho, means to wait with confidence and endurance. There's an expectancy about the waiting as well. That's also part of the the definition. The implication is that Simeon had probably been waiting for a long time. I realize we live in an instant world. We get upset if we have to wait in line at Starbucks for very long. We want what we want, and for the most part, we want it right now. 
That mindset bleeds over into our relationship with God. It's sort of like the prayer, God, give me patience, and I want it right now. Listen, God is doing a work in you. It's important, and important things take time if they're going to get done right. Your destiny, like Simeon's, is a journey. You'll get there. If you walk in faithfulness and commitment, you won't arrive a minute late. It's a promise from Scripture. Philippians chapter 1, verse 4. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. God will get you there. Don't lose yourself, your sense of ex- expectancy in the journey, though. Simeon was looking for the consolation of Israel. He expected it to happen. But get this, because this is important. He expected it to happen and happen not in an event, but in a person. He was looking for a person. And that should tell us something. Our destiny is not wrapped up in an event. It's not wrapped up in a building. It's not even wrapped up in a supernatural miracle. Our destiny is a person first and foremost, and his name is Jesus. We're not in pursuit of the hand of God, what he can do for us. We're after the heart of God, who he is for us. You understand that? I'll repeat it. We're not in pursuit of the hand of God, what he can do for us. We're after the heart of God, who he is for us. When we encounter him, then we have all that we need. I love the way I I told you about this the other week, uh, Max Lucado's book called One Incredible Savior and how he takes uh, different parts of the Christmas story and talks about them. He does that with Simeon, and I wanted to read it because he does a great job with the idea of expectancy. He says, let's imagine a white-haired, wizened fellow working his way down the streets of Jerusalem. People in the market call his name. He waves, but doesn't stop. Neighbors greet him, and he returns the greeting, but he doesn't pause. Friends chat on the corner, and he smiles, but he doesn't stop. He has a place to be, and he hasn't time to lose. Simeon, the man who knew how to wait for the arrival of Christ. The way he waited for the first coming is a model of how we should wait for the second coming. Simeon's one incredible moment occurs eight days after the birth of Jesus. Joseph and Mary have brought their son to the temple. It's the day of a sacrifice, the day of circumcision, the day of dedication. But for Simeon, it is a day of celebration. Verse 27 contains this curious statement. Prompted by the Spirit, he came to the temple. Simeon apparently had no plans to go to the temple. God, however, thought otherwise. We don't know how the prompting came. Was it a call from a neighbor, an invitation from his wife, a nudging within his own heart? We don't really know. But somehow, Simeon knew to clear his calendar, put away his golf clubs, and to show up. I think I'll go to church. On this side of the event, we understand the prompting. Whether Simeon understood it or not, we don't really know. We do know, however, that this wasn't the first time that God had tapped him on the shoulder. At least one other time in his life, he had received a message from God. The Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen him, God's anointed king. Now, you've got to wonder what a message like that will do to a person. What does it do to you if you know that someday you get to see God? We know what it did to Simeon. He was constantly expecting 
the Messiah. He was living in the expectation of the salvation of Israel. He watched and he waited for the restoration of Israel. Simeon is a man on tiptoe, wide-eyed and watching for the one who will come to save Israel. The Greek language is rich with terms. It has a stable full of verbs that mean to look. One means to look up, another look away, another to look upon, and another to look in. To look at something intently requires one word, and to look over someone carefully mandates a different one. Of all the forms of look, the one that best captures what it means to look for the coming is the term used to describe the action of Simeon. Promiscademai means to wait. Pro means forward. You combine the two of them, and you have this graphic picture of one waiting forwardly. Very poor grammar, but the image is pretty cool. Simeon was waiting, not demanding, not hurrying. He was waiting, but he was also waiting with expectation, anticipation, calmly, but expectantly, eyes open, arms extended, searching the crowd for the right face, hoping the face would appear today. In the end, the prayer of Simeon was answered. Simeon took the baby in his arms. He thanked God. Now, Lord, you can let me, your servant, die in peace, as you said. One look into the face of Jesus, and Simeon knew the hope of his life had been fulfilled. One look into the face of our Savior, and we will know the same. Expectancy. What are you expecting? I believe with all my heart that if you will show up on a Sunday morning expecting to see Jesus, that's exactly who you will encounter, just like Simeon. But the choice is yours. You can come weighed down by all of the garbage that collects in your life over the week and hope that this place just gives you a moment's rest from that. And that's not a bad thing. But wouldn't it be better if you came with an expectation of meeting Jesus and in that encounter, all those other things that were weighing you down just got blown away? I think it would. The last thing I see here very quickly is the issue of thankfulness. You know, Simeon had waited who knows how many years, maybe decades, to have that promise fulfilled in his life. And his response to that promise is to bless Jesus and to bless Mary and Joseph and to be thankful before God. Anna was the same way. When she comes up, she immediately gives thanks. And then she starts witnessing to everybody about what has just happened. Anna's first thought when she encountered Jesus was just that. And you know, I deal with a lot of prayer requests, and that's appropriate, I suppose. The one request, folks, that I rarely ever hear, though, is thanks. I can't actually remember the last time someone asked me to pray just to give thanks for something that happened in their life. Sometimes I wonder if we take him, his presence, his blessing uh, for granted. How thankful we are as a people. I believe, and this is just my opinion, so you do with it whatever you want, but I believe the more thankful we are as a people, the more presence we will experience. The more we live in gratitude, the more encounters we'll have with Jesus. 
And those encounters will be sweeter and sweeter, longer and longer, till we get to the point where we live in constant presence, a constant realization that we walk with him. You want to improve in that area of your life? Start being thankful. Start counting your blessings. Thankfulness is a, it, it's, it's a mindset. It's a mindset that's, that's commanded in Scripture. First Thessalonians says, be joyful, pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. That doesn't leave anything out, as far as I'm aware. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Listen, faithfulness is about being committed to the call of God on your life. Expectancy is about pursuing the person of Jesus, who he is for us. And thankfulness is about our response to the person of Jesus and all he's done for us. Those are the things that I see in the life of Anna and Simeon. Those are the things that I challenge you with this morning. Do your homework. Consider the questions that I gave you. And then act on them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you. Your word kind of, at times, strips us pretty bare. But it does it in a really good way. Because it challenges us to move closer to you. It challenges us to move into deeper intimacy with you. And that is the best place for us. It challenges us to move forward in our relationship with you and with one another. So, Father, I pray that we take up the challenge. And that's exactly what happens as we move forward. In Jesus' name, amen.